Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts, your weekly New York Rangers podcast hosted by myself, Joe Fortunato, and Mike Murphy. I just realized I did not open up the chat, so I'm doing that now. And before we do our introductions, uh, some good news. We're semi-sponsored right now by the fine people over at Loot Crate. Uh, so this Blue Shirt Banter podcast, Bantering the Blue Shirts, is brought to you by Loot Crate, which is a monthly mystery crate for gamers, geeks, and fans of pop culture, delivering cool and often exclusive items like collectible t-shirts, gadgets, and more. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit later at about the 10-minute mark. But, yeah, they're, uh, they're supporting us now. So lootcrate.com slash blueshirtbanter. That's the only thing that I want you to take from this podcast. That is it. Um, I am Joe Fortunato, managing editor of Blue Shirt Banter. I am joined by two editors of the website today. Michael Murphy, as always, except for last week uh, when he was sick. And Beth Macklin. Guys, how are you doing today? I'm good. Fine, How are you, I think I'm okay. Let's see. We're, we're starting off well. I made a joke after the uh, the second game that this was going to be a much more positive podcast than it could have been in the event that those first two games did not go as well. But uh, I guess we could dive right into things, Beth. I will begin with you, ladies, first, since we don't have too much confusion over the airwaves. But are you uh, encouraged slash surprised that uh, the way the Rangers are playing these past two games to bring the series back to Madison Square Garden tied at one? You know what? I am really encouraged. I feel like I was suddenly watching a different team um, and that different things were happening. I think, I mean, I really do have to sort of balance my encouragement with my frustration that we couldn't have run some of these experiments with the defense, maybe when it wasn't playoffs. You know, spin Diaz in, give McElrath some time, um, you know, see what happens, see what looks good. I think on one hand, it's absolutely insane that we're doing this tinkering now as opposed to earlier. But, you know, I will take it. I was sitting and watching just from the moment the puck dropped. Um, Saturday was a different game. Um, I wasn't looking for holes. I wasn't, like, covering my eyes. Uh, when the puck was in our end, um, I realized I was actually watching a pretty functional defense. And that made me realize that I hadn't been watching one for a while. So, yeah, I am encouraged with Hank back. And if they work out whatever the kinks are, get things lined up on the defense, I think we have a series now. And if you remember my prediction before game one, um, I think it was something like long, boring, brutal murder. So I, I've definitely upgraded that now. I still think it's probably going to end up going to seven. Uh, we're going to lose at least another one. But I, you know what? They are in this now. And I honestly, I, did, I wasn't sure before. Mike, your thoughts? Um, you know, if just – Hindsight's pretty interesting, but if you look at the fact, you know, no McDonough, and even with all the flaws to his game, no Girardi, and then if you told me that Henrik Lundqvist would have an eye injury in game one, and you told me all of that, and then you said that we'd be headed back to game three at the Garden with the series tied one-to-one after the Rangers had a pretty uh, definitive win in game two, uh, I would take it. I would have taken it even with all the horror involved with it. Um, I'm not sure. I think something that we're itching to talk about is just who these guys are, <laughs> because uh, you know we've watched, you know, just like everyone really, we've watched every game this season. We you know we watch the team very closely. We follow them 
you know, eye test analytics, the whole nine yards. And uh, this is a very mercurial, hard to peg down group. It's not an easy, uh, not an easy team to figure out, but, you know, when they have two consecutive games of registering 22 even strength scoring chances, you feel, you know, can't feel anything but good about that. So I guess I feel cautiously optimistic, but um, like Beth, I was expecting horrible, horrible things um, just because of how well the Penguins were playing towards the end of the season. But uh, uh, I'll take it. I'll take 1-1 one, one, headed back to the Garden. Well, let's, let's be honest, remember, Beth, too, they're a second period. Oh, I'm sorry, Joe, go ahead. No, no, Beth, go ahead, please. Well, I mean, all we were hearing was what a great second period team the Pens were, too. I mean, we destroyed them in the second period. So, you know, even that, we took the thing that they were famous for away from them as well. And, of course, they still have a backup goalie in. And and for whatever reason, we broke him down in this game, definitely more than we did in the first game. Um, But, yeah, you know, our, our end was working, and we saw that their side can fall apart. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with the goaltending. Um but, yeah, one of the things that they had become uh, known for being really good at, for being a really strong second-period team, we demolished that. So that, to me, um, says something about the effect that we can possibly have on them as well. I mean, yes, they came into the playoffs on fire, but we're, we might already be breaking that down a little bit. That is probably being a t- little too optimistic. But anyway. I was going to say, if you frequent this radio show and slash or this website, which you all do because you're here, uh, I think the one real concern that we had wasn't offensively, it wasn't a net, it was defensively. And the Rangers actually played a really good game in game one, the game that they lost. And if you look at it from the score alone, you're going to say the Penguins won 5-2, to two, they smoked them. But the truth of the matter is the Rangers fell apart at the seams with their top defensive pairing of Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl. Uh, Beth and I talked about it last week in Mike's absence that that probably was not the best idea, but we really didn't know what other options Vigneault had just based off of the pieces to the puzzle that he was given. And it worked. It was so horrible because the Rangers played really well for, let's say, 18 minutes in the first period gave up a goal the last minute, one nothing Penguins. The Rangers play really well in the second period for about 18 minutes. Girardi throws the puck into the middle of a scrum. Crosby gets a breakaway pass from Hornquist. It's 2 nothing. Lundquist goes down. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on in that first game that probably give you reasons to go see your cardiologist. But at the end of the day, you walked away from that first round, or that first game, and you think to yourself, okay, the Penguins didn't do anything we knew we didn't know about then exactly what we warned everybody was going to happen happened. The Rangers fell apart at the top of the defense. And then for whatever reason, and we will debate this a little bit later in the show, Dan Girardi is scratched, whether or not it's healthy or an injury related, we can talk about Brady Shea goes into the lineup. Dylan McElrath, or excuse me, Dylan McElrath comes into the lineup. Brady Shea gets an increased role. And Oh, look at that. The Rangers actually play a really good defensive game against the rejuvenated Penguins team that got Evgeny Malkin back. So I look at that as a whole, and I think to myself, this defense, as is, without Girardi and with Shea and with McElrath, can only get better when Ryan McDonough comes back. And that's a real big positive that I can see. And I wrote the story today about the Rangers' youth being one of their shining examples Brady Shea has to be someone who puts a smile on your face through these first two games because 
like I said, I thought he was spectacular. Uh, do you agree with me, Beth? Yeah, I mean, baby Shay, it's what I remember about what we were talking about last week. We were saying, you know, what are our options? We have to, you know, we have to line up against the Crosby line, we have to, but we also have to worry about the Hagelin-Kessel line. Um, and, you know, we're doing the best we can with what we have. But let's remember that we were not actually doing the best we can with what we had. We were doing the best with what AV chose to use. Um, hmm. You know, we had McElrath. We had Diaz as a possibility then, too. You know, it was just that Girardi, whatever happened with Girardi that forced A.V.'s hand is what changed this. He had this defense already. He just wasn't using it until this game. Um, So, I mean, I'm not really sure what case I'm trying to make there, but we did have, you know, we did have options. It was just only in game two that we started using them. And if AV can't see the dramatic change there, um, I think a lot of people have already said their worst nightmare is Girardi recovers from his everything, his his whole body, whatever it is, and goes back into the lineup. and then we lose again, you know, so it's, it's really tough to know what AV's thinking was and what actually is wrong with Girardi. But yeah, I just want to put back on the table that we did have options we weren't using. We could have had this defense earlier in the season and for game one, and we just didn't. Right. I think that's, well, Mike, I want to hear your, uh, your thoughts on the, the Brady Shea aspect. But before we do, the word from our sponsors. Like I said before at the beginning of the show, this show is uh, sponsored by Loot Crate. So it's a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and into pop culture gear. And uh, I think Mike and I were talking about this before the show. We have the perfect clientele for that because who doesn't love video games and comic books and the like? So for less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. They come every month to your house. You could sign up for a month. You could sign up for a year, I think. Uh, you have the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when that cutoff happens, it ends. So every month has a theme. The month of March was Quest. That ends tomorrow. So if you want that particular theme, you have to go to lootcrate.com slash banter. And if you go there and you sign up for a new subscription, if you use the code blue shirt banter without spaces, you should save $3, I believe. So like I said, if you are listening to this it is because you love comic books, you love, they have a star Wars theme. They have themes for everything. Literally there's nothing they don't have. So if you're into that kind of stuff, if you want those cool kind of knickknacks, I know those bobbleheads were really big. They have those too. Just go to lootcratecom slash blue shirt banter, set it up because Mike, I have a feeling people don't like going to their mailbox anymore. Uh, you know, I watched a lot of Blue's Clues growing up, like most people did, I think, right? And if Blue's Clues taught me anything other than to have a handy-dandy notebook, it was to look forward to the mail. And nine times out of ten, I'm not looking forward to the mail because it's just people wanting money from me. But got to say, I very much like the idea of a box full of random goodies. And since we're speaking of things that we like, did you like Brady Shea this weekend? Um, you know, it's uh, watching Shea's game and I was paying a lot of attention to him and what he was doing away from the puck. And, uh, he was doing a lot of those little things that make, make you feel really good. He's also one of, I always, every time I watch him play, I'm always kind of, I always forget how big he looks on the ice, even though it's not really 
talked about that he's a big like a big guy. Um, but there was a one uh, like a 20 minute stretch where the Rangers were in the defensive zone, and the uh, Penguins are just kind of cycling around the boards, and uh, he was just tying up Haglund's stick the entire time and making his life you know a living hell. And you know when you look at how you know how young Brady is and how he's done so far, I mean. It's, it feels like a pretty big upgrade from, from what we were seeing at times with uh, Dan Girardi. I mean, will Brady Shea make mistakes? Well, you know, will we see him do things that make us shake our head? Of course we will, but he's a young player that's learning the game. But what he also has is an offensive upside to his game, the ability to move the puck and really skate. And, uh, you know, we've been told for years that he's McDonough light. And uh, I like what I see so far. I mean, I'm not particularly thrilled about the fact that we only got to see a little over nine minutes of Dylan McElrath uh, in game two. But uh, so far, everything we've seen out of Brady has been, in my opinion, has been exactly what we've been hoping to see. Is that how you feel? Yeah, and the real concern about Shea was how he was going to adjust from the AHL atmosphere to the NHL playoff atmosphere. And when you look up and down the lineup, the Penguins have a lot of speed, and it's something we've talked about a lot because it is one of their keys to offense. And I think part of the reason why Shea is such an attractive option for Vigneault is because he has the speed to keep up with people. And I don't know if you guys saw, but in game one on Stepan's second goal, it was Brady Shea who was joining the rush on that three-on-two that pulled the defenders that gave Stepan the space to finish. Shea is prolific at joining the rush. He did it a lot in Minnesota in the NCAA. He's done it a lot at the AHL level with Hartford. If you uh, go through some of Adam's older stories or even some of his tweets, if you ask him, he'll show you some some gifts and some views of that. So it's something that makes the Rangers a little bit more dangerous because he actually fits Vigneault's system of needing the defense to kind of help create this offensive transition. And it's not just about whether or not Shea is capable of joining the rush or capable of providing some offense. He had his first NHL point uh, in game two, but it's also about his defensive ability. And in game one, Shea got paired up against Haglund and Kessel, and he got paired up against Crosby. And in game two, he saw the same thing, and he's playing on the power play, and he's playing on the penalty kill. And in those two games, his even strength Corsi is over 54%. So you're not talking about a guy that's just getting dragged along for the ride. This is a guy who's actually making a difference. Now, Dylan McElrath has 57% Corsi from game two, granted in nine minutes. I thought McElrath had a rough first couple of minutes, which is to be expected, since he hasn't really played at all, and then really settled in nicely. And I'm not sure what exactly it is Vigneault doesn't like about McElrath or what he doesn't trust in McElrath, because when I see McElrath on the ice, I see a guy who's capable of handling it himself. He brings a physical edge in a good way. And he is an imposing figure back there. And I'm not talking about from a fighting standpoint. I'm just talking about he can bully you off the puck in the corners. He can bully you behind the net. He can block a ton of shots if that's something that you're really looking for. And it just seems like Vigneault doesn't trust him. So Rafael Diaz was called up officially today. The Rangers had him practice with McDonough as a spare part today. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look like that tomorrow. But Vigneault has already cited the speed and skill aspect of the game. You can't give me that and then have Tanner Glass out with 30 seconds left and the Penguins have an empty net and you're protecting the lead because that excuse doesn't hold any water. So are you – I know, Beth, uh, we, we could begin with you. You're disappointed McElrath hasn't seen a little bit more time, No. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I've been thinking about this. Uh, my kid quit hockey this year because um, it was just too big of a commitment. And I think, you know, the way they say that, like, you know, baby ducklings will, like, imprint, you know, if their mother's not around, they'll imprint on, like, the first aunt and they'll, like, follow a dog or a person or whatever. I feel like my hockey momness has, like, imprinted on Dylan McElrath, and I'm very sort of invested in the fate of his career for some reason. He's just, like, he's become my hockey child. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I I feel like he can't do anything right. Um I feel like what he does out there almost doesn't matter in terms of how he's seen. And so, um, you know, I, he did have a tough first couple of minutes. I remember being so excited to see him out there. And then I think he literally had a turnover the first time he had the puck. I think he was bringing it up the boards. Um, and I thought, eh, but you know, he was good after that. And he's got a great shot and he is solid. I mean, Yandel himself said that, that McElrath, gives him the room to be the player he can be, um, which is about as good, you know, a testimony as you need. He clears the room for Yandel um, to do what Yandel can do. I love that pairing. Um, and, you know, I can only imagine how frustrating frustrating it is for a young player to not really see. I mean, obviously there's stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, but there does not really, like you said, the Tanner Glass, you know, we're talking Tanner Glass logic here. Um, there is not a logic to AV's that we can see to AV's refusal um, to give McElrath more of a chance. And so, you know, that is frustrating um, because I would like to see more of him out there. So I guess we'll see what kind of role Diaz is going to play, but I I would really like to see, I would like to see more of McElrath. Yeah. Mike. You know, it's, he has, the thing I think with McElrath that, has been so hard for so many people is, you know, this team has made a kind of made a horrible tradition of trading away prospects and first round picks. And a lot like Shea, he's one of the few first round picks that we've held on to. He was our first round pick in uh, 2010. He also has the kind of, you know, going against, you know, the odds are stacked against him. The fact that he was a 10th overall pick. So, you know, there is expecting great things from him, even though, on draft day, you know, all those years ago, I remember many people being disappointed and flabbergasted that the Rangers reached up to grab him there. But my opinion on him, um, you know, he's 23 now. Um, he's actually turning 24, I think, in two days. But uh, is if you forget where he was drafted and forget, you know, all the expectations of a first-round pick and all that stuff, he's a perfectly fine third pair defenseman or, you know, the guy who's there getting, you know, the, the fourth most minutes on the team on the blue line and, you know, getting, getting a compliment from someone like Keith Yandel, uh, you know, Yandel has no reason to just kind of, you know, pat McElrath on, on the back of the media. That's, that's a big deal. It's a big deal to be told, you know, to, to be, be given that compliment about, you know, what you can do and help enable a skilled player like that. And, you know, yeah, do we see Macross make mistakes? And, you know, do we see him sometimes look clumsy with the puck? And like Beth said, you know, the first time he touched the puck, he had a turnover and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, a little, it's a little frustrating with the fact that he's a young guy. And, you know, Joe and I have talked about this on the podcast since the word go, that it just seems that veteran players, especially Glass and Girardi, just all the leash in the world and younger guys just – 
don't have it when it comes to Elaine Vigneault and how he treats his players and treats them differently. And with McElrath, you know, you see, you see that it's there. You know, it might be rough right now, and it might need some work and some some polish. And you know, he, he needs time on ice. He needs, uh, you know, he won't get better unless he gets experience. And of course, when we're in the playoffs right now, you don't necessarily want to be also working on developing, you know, a young guy who, you know, at best is projected to be a second pair defenseman. But you know, you look at what he can be and what he has been, and it's frustrating because he's not been given the opportunity. And, it's you know, personally, I think Diaz might be the better choice to add into the lineup just just because it will mean speed and another guy to make an impact on the power play. But, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that McArath should be out. If McDonough can't go, I was saying in the comments on the banner today that I would actually prefer to see seven defensemen dressed at the expense of glass. And, you know, I know that's a wacky thing. And obviously late this season, we saw McElrath play wing for a game just because Vino just doesn't know what to do with him. But uh, it's, I think it's been frustrating to watch, you know, him get nine minutes and I think it was six seconds or something like that in a game where, you know, Klein took a fighting major. So, you know, there's a call for call for the penalty minutes to get a little more evenly dis- distributed, but uh, it didn't happen. And uh, that's been frustrating. What, what do you think about McElrath's usage? Part of the discussion in the chat room right now is whether or not McElrath is injured, and maybe that's why his minutes are being limited and his opportunities are being limited. I just don't think so, because when McElrath was actually hurt, he was out, and Vigneault didn't make any type of – he didn't play a game with it. It was just McElrath is out, he's injured. He came back, and he was healthy. For the life of me, I have no idea why – McElrath could not be a guy who was subbed in three out of every four games in terms of replacing Girardi one game, stall another game, boil another game, or even boil and Girardi. Let's be honest. Vigneault played Girardi hurt this year, and that's at least the running theme. Uh, I, I would hope that there was some type of a something going on with Girardi that kind of led to this decline, even though I do believe that's who he is as a player now. But those opportunities to kind of rotate McDonough or McElrath in are important because then you're not just dealing with a guy who's played 20 regular season games and, oh, here you go, you're going to get some minutes in the playoffs. You're dealing with a more functional defenseman who's more prepared for those opportunities. And I think we saw against the Penguins in game two, McElrath didn't look out of place. He really didn't. And part of Yandel's discussion, a lot of people took it as, oh, McElrath's really tough. That's what Yandel means when he's talking about the room he has. That's not what Yandel means. Yandel's talking about McElrath's defense-first mentality. McElrath covers the point well. He gets back. Yandel probably feels way more comfortable doing something crazy in the offensive zone with McElrath behind him than he does with Girardi. Let's just put it that way. And if you don't think there's a mental aspect to that side of the game, I I can promise you there is. Um, I do want to get on the Girardi topic for a second, but I'm nearly positive this is Dan's 10, who has been holding for 25 minutes. Dan, did I get it right? Is it you? Yeah, it's me. You see that? I can figure it out by the number now. What's going on, buddy? What do you want to talk about? Oh, what you guys are talking about. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're good. Doing good. Just wondering about McElrath at the moment. Okay, well, I'll I'll chime in and I'll join that practice. Um, I happen to agree with all parties in this situation. I think uh, McElroy's 
um, under use is, you know, is, is startling because he certainly has given his all every time he's been out there. Um, regular season, he has held up and he has been, you know, played key roles in certain situations where no one was executing on defense. And in my opinion, that should have earned him plenty of ice time coming to, towards the end of the season, and it definitely should have earned him ice time uh, right towards, uh, you know, right at the start of the playoffs. But, you know, 917 is not a bad number for a third-pair defenseman playing in his very first playoff game. It's not the worst I've seen, but it needs to be at least six minutes more, in my opinion, uh, come next game, and it needs to be in game three tomorrow night. Yeah, Vigneault certainly has his favorites on defense, and he certainly – I mean, it's the way that he's kind of done the rotations the entire year. It's the way that he, he just kind of runs everything. Dan, you're going to get kicked. It's a, I apologize. The system doesn't like when we have too many callers on, and it, the last person is like – I don't know what it thinks, but I think you just, it just kicked you, so thank you for calling in. Um, Vigneault runs with his top guys and McElrath is obviously not one of them I am pleasantly surprised that Shea saw as much time as he did both on the power play and on the penalty kill along with even strength uh, the wrinkle and Dan's kind of brought it up that McElrath was doing really well when the other defensemen were not we do have sort of an expectation that Ryan McDonough might make it back for the end of this series Dan Girardi is a big question mark. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Shea is McDonough's replacement. So if McDonough comes back, do you think Vigneault sits Shea to play Diaz slash McElrath? Or do you think that Vigneault just slides Shea down in the pairings? Because that's how I would do it personally. But Beth, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I think it would be hard to not um, keep Shea in there at this point. Um, I, I think he's definitely earned a spot. Um, but again, I mean, AV makes some pretty arbitrary decisions sometimes. Um, so, you know, saying what we know should happen almost never has any connection to, um, or rarely has any connection to, uh, what AV may end up doing. <laughs> so I would say that I mean he's definitely earned he's definitely earned a spot there. I, I would say he's probably even gonna score in the next game. Um I'd really like to see that and I think he's come close and uh that would be that would make me incredibly happy. I think it would make everyone incredibly happy. Um but yeah, just because it makes logical sense to us, again, uh doesn't necessarily mean that's what's gonna happen. Mike? Well, I think it's, it's an interesting question. I saw a lot on Twitter and, and on the banter today, which is the discussion of, you know, do you take, you know, McDonough at 70% over Shea or, you know, or Diaz, and, you know, you start to play that game of, you know, what does Ryan McDonough look like when he's at 50% and 60%? And of course, you know, it's not that easy because it's not – the NHL is an EA Sports. But um, I think it's uh, – I agree with Beth that I think it would be unwise – to, for Shea to come out of the lineup. With that being said, I think there's no guarantee of him remaining in the lineup because of the guy who's behind the Rangers bench. Um, I also, it's interesting because Diaz is a veteran player, but he, obviously he's been, you know, Chris Summers got the call up before him during the regular season. So um, obviously there's a bit of a, you know, mixed signals with what the organization thinks about Rafael Diaz. Um, I'm surprised that he's here. Um, I think that 
he was called up really, as most people think, as soon as it's related to McElrath. But um, I really don't think we should see Shea come out of the lineup, uh, whether or not McDonough returns. And it's for all the reasons that, you know, you guys are saying, especially with his ability to join the rush and, you know, a six foot three frame. And he's one of those guys, really, I think he's, it, it could be, you know, looking through, you know, at through rose colored glasses and the fact that there's so few prospects to get excited about, but he just looks better with each period. I mean, he really, you know, doesn't look lost out there. And that's really saying something on a team like the Penguins that have some really scary players that can make very good players look very silly at times. So um, I've been really pleased with Shay, and I, I really don't want to see him come out. And this is Can I just what, what, ask you guys something? Oh, sure. Joe, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm all feisty tonight. I don't know why. Um, People don't know how hard it, it is was... to do this when you can't see each other. There's no way to do like a visual cue that I'm going to speak next. So I'm surprised that this does not happen more often. But yeah, go ahead, Beth. Um, I can't be quite sure about this. So I'm looking for your confirmation. Uh, this is what happens when I watch games in social situations. But um. It was the last time that we played the Pens in the regular season that I wrote that post where I was wondering, you know, what does Hank talk about when we leave the offense on his doorstep unattended, you know, for seconds at a time? Does he have a conversation? Does he just slash at them? You know, when they're left alone for that long, totally open, except for Hank, you know, what does Hank think? What does he do? Does he actually say anything? Um, and, of course, that's a joke. But on the other hand, I mean, we didn't see that in this game, I don't think. For the first time in a while, we didn't have moment where you're watching from home as if it's a horror movie, you know, where you can tell what's going to happen, but the people on the screen don't know, where you see that random, you know, that random open guy who's just in closer than he should be. And he's been dropped, you know, he's not being covered. And um, would you guys say that that, I mean, first of all, you don't want to see that and you shouldn't be seeing that. So to not see it is sort of unnoticeable, if you know what I mean, because that's the way it's supposed to work. You're not Mm -hmm. supposed to leave Phil Kessel unattended, you know, (laughs) in the low slot. But yet we did, I think, multiple times in that last game. Um, did we, yeah. are you, am I right about that? Did we actually have coverage that didn't leave Hank vulnerable to those high danger shots like that? I actually wonder if we've become so conditioned to those types of moments where like Kessel's just sitting in front of the net and no one's in front of him. Pretty much take any of the goals in game outside of the empty net goal from game one and that type of mentality just existing on defense and that being something that we see, you're so conditioned to that, that when the breakdowns are smaller and they're not as dangerous, we might gloss them over because I do think mm. we've seen a much angrier Hank this year as he kind of goes on and realizes that, Hey, my prime years are kind of fading. Uh, my don't know how many more kicks at the can you're going to have at this type of an elite level. Don't, you know, these guys think about stuff like that. So when, when those breakdowns happen, it has to be frustrating because let's talk about something else too. In 2014, those breakdowns were rare. You never saw them happen. Mm-hmm. 2015, they started happening a little bit more. 2016, it was like, Hey, we're going to make up for all those times that we played really good defense by making as many <laughs> mental gaps as we possibly can. 
And we've seen some frustration out of Henrik Lundqvist. He, it didn't have anything to do with his defense, but he threw the puck off, or the net off the moorings uh, that one time. I think it actually was against Pittsburgh. Um, it was that game, we, yeah. We've seen Lundqvist kind of jab or talk to his defenseman a little bit. We've, we've seen him kind of get very frustrated in the locker room. And I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen more of it because Henrik Lundqvist is an insane competitor. He wants to win. He hates to lose. And the Rangers have done their at making his life very difficult. And maybe it's a little bit better because at least he knows they have the offensive firepower to kind of bail him out a little bit. But, you know, I say that knock on wood. That really hasn't happened all that often, uh, even with this new look New York Rangers lineup. So, I mean, that's my two cents. Mike, what do you think? I think, uh, you know, one of the things that is encouraging is that, uh, you know, the Rangers have done a good job in the, you know, the possession and the scoring chance battle. And uh, something that I just want to mention, because it keeps kind of slipping, slipping my mind, is, you know, Hank had faced he – he faced seven high-scoring uh, chance uh, shots. Actually, he, Penguins had an eight high-scoring chance, uh, high-danger scoring chance uh, shots, and one missed the net. And Hank saved the other seven, which is just unreal. So they are getting chances. That's all at even strength, by the way. So it's not that the Penguins aren't getting chances. Lundqvist is very good. Um, but I think where we see a lot of those breakdowns and when it's really brutal and it's something that Joe and I, I know, have talked about before is, you know, the, the times when, uh, like, for, for instance, with Kessel being left wide open is when the Rangers give the Penguins power plays and they're killing penalties, you really see awful defensive coverage. And it's not because every night we're facing teams that just move the puck, you know, like the Globetrotters. It's because there are assignments that are blown and – it's really frustrating watching, you know, it feels like Hank is facing a five on three every time he's out there on a penalty kill. <laughs> and um, it, it gets harder and harder to watch. And it's just come to the point where, you know, like when you see just Kessel wide open on a bang, bang play on a five on four or a five on three, you just, you just go, Oh, you know, most people say, and that's what Phil Kessel will do to you. Meanwhile, you know, defenseman is, five feet away from him and he's, you know, right, right on the doorstep, just waiting to bang, bang home a, Oh, you know, a cross ice pass from one of the three or four elite playmakers on the, on the Penguins roster. <laughs> so um, it's, it's frustrating to see, to see that happen. And it's, it's encouraging to see Hank have, have the good game he had in game two. And, you know, with it's, I think a lot of us getting, get encouraged and excited to talk about how the de- defense looks better with Girardi out just because, you know, he's really become the uh, the scapegoat for a lot of the defense's problems. But um, I think that, you know, it's still not where it needs to be. It's not consistent. And uh, I think it really shows on on penalty killing. And, uh, you know, in both game one and two, the Rangers, you know, and it was a little closer in, in game one, but uh, you know, the Rangers technically won, you know, the the battle at even strength. Um, and it, you know, it was best exemplified by the fact that they had four even strength goals in game two. But uh, it's you know you, you look at you look at a stat like that, and you look at what Hank has done so far, and you look at how much of a competitor he is. And I just I can't imagine that at some point there hasn't been a locker room discussion because of how intense Henrik can be. 
and you know I I don't I don't envy being one of the defensemen I guess is what I'm trying to say but uh really it's I thought I, you know not to go off on a on a tangent while I'm rambling on this monologue here but I really thought that Henrik looks better than I was I thought he was going to look after coming back from that uh very spooky eye injury and um you know like you know like you guys said it's it's easy to kind of overlook the the minor problems when we're so used to seeing the big ones and when we don't see the big ones we just kind of brush away the the minor mistakes but um I think it's starting to head in the right direction, but I'm still not convinced just because we've seen just so much of it, just with blown coverages and allowing players to get open and high danger scoring chances. And you, you can't ask your goaltender to do that night in and night out. Well, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if we saw defensive breakdowns as we move forward. Let's call a spade a spade here. The Rangers defense strikes at the worst possible moments. And you saw that in game one. This kind of brings me to my next point. Vigneault. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you my tinfoil hat theory on what's been going on (laughs) with Dan Girardi. I think the Rangers are healthy scratching Dan Girardi slash. He is playing bumped and bruised. So the team is just kind of giving him a little bit of time. But I think everybody knows that if you say we're healthy scratching Dan Girardi, it destroys whatever trade value he may or may not have. And I think the Wings are doing the right thing by trying to respect him by saying that he's injured. Mignot's comment was he had an all-body injury. It was just an all-over injury, which doesn't make any sense. Today, yeah, that's Vigneault not very talks, <laughs> today, Vigneault talks yeah, his to body's too slow he, now. That's the problem. He just the says, hey, uh, so he's 31 Dan now. is trying he's to no come good. back at I think he's been taking some unfair <laughs> criticism and we'll make a decision on him when he gets back to being healthy. Guys, is there any possible way? Well, I'm not even going to ask if Dan Girardi should come back in because I think it's very clear the answer is no. And again, this is a very, I, I kind of talked about this a little bit in my story before game two. This is a very awkward conversation to have because as Adam pointed out in his story about Dan Girardi's legacy, you really are talking about a guy who paved some of this foundation. You're talking about a guy who was there from the beginning, who's kind of come up and helped the Rangers get to the point where they're even capable of doing something like this. But his timing was bad, and he's started to really fall off a cliff as the Rangers kind of peak at that where they are right now. So it is a little awkward, but you also have to do what's best for you to win the Stanley Cup, period, end of story. The Rangers right now do not need Dan Girardi in the lineup. They're a better team with him out of the lineup. As bad as that is to say, as, as horrible as it sounds, it's true. And all the talking heads, NHL on NBC, TSN, everybody who's saying, oh, the Rangers are they're really unlucky to have Girardi out. All that tells me is Girardi has trade value based on reputation alone, and the Rangers need to protect that at all costs. Because if the talking heads are saying it, if Darren Dreger is saying it, I don't know if he was, I'm just using him as an example. Um, it, it obviously does resonate a little bit more with the, the general managers. And, hey, maybe Boston, Vancouver, Calgary, you don't know who out there, Colorado, might be like, oh, we don't care about fancy stats. We'll take them. Let's go. So do you guys see Girardi coming back in at all in this series, let alone this playoffs, Steph? This is where hockey is so fascinating to me because I think compared to other sports, it's such a small world. Um, Yes, maybe the mainstream hockey media is calling for the return of Dan Girardi, but at the same time, we know that the 
fans on Twitter and some of the smaller, like basically the SB Nation writers, were rejoicing that Girardi was matched up against Crosby. Okay, the ones who were rooting for the Pens, you know? What was it? We saw we saw tweets calling Dan Girardi the Pens' best defenseman. So what really sort of <laughs> fascinates me is the disconnects there, you know? It's like how does everybody on Twitter, you know, or most knowledgeable people know that Girardi is a huge liability and general managers of teams are going to be deceived by an excuse that AV can't even get out with a straight face. It's the whole thing, talking about his body injury. You know, so I, I find it hard to believe that there would be such a huge disconnect there. Um, but, you know, maybe there is. Maybe those guys are so detached. But it, it, to me, it really speaks to sort of how weird hockey is that the fans of these teams that follow them regularly and follow the smaller media outlets know exactly what we know. So how could general managers not know it too? Mike? Well, unless Dan Girardi gets a new pair of legs from Luke Crate, I don't think he should be coming back in this series or in the playoffs. Um, you know, it's it's – the disconnect that Beth is talking about is really interesting because, you know, it's it's one of those things where you think of, you know, veteran players and how they starting to leave their prime and into their twilight years and how organizations, it's really fascinating to watch how organizations handle, you know, trying to let those players really show them respect for what they have accomplished by keeping them around and keeping them in the organization while at the same time, trying very awkwardly to find a way to make sure they're not toxic to the team. Um, It's something that's pretty interesting with, for instance, uh, you know, the contract that the Kings gave to Dustin Brown and how he's just not the player he was three or four years ago, but he still has his cap hit. And it's not that dissimilar of a story for Dan Girardi, Um, not directly comparing those two players, obviously, but you know, the the fact of the matter is, you know, Dan Girardi becomes an unrestricted free agent in 2020. Um, it's a long time away. And this is what he <laughs> looks like now. And, you know, before he left the lineup here, you know, what was the one thing everyone talked about? Oh, Dan Girardi, Iron Man, he never gets hurt. He never misses a game. Um, I don't think it's Not injury slowing him down. I think it's just father time. He's just getting old. And that happens, and it's a it's a very peculiar thing. And I thought that's why Adam's piece was so great um, on the banner with with how you know how do you respect a player's legacy here, and you know how much you know how much weight do you give to the fact that you have to respect what he's done for the organization, what he's meant to the organization, and the fact that there's you know there's an A on his on the breast of his jersey. You know he's an alternate captain. You know these things matter, especially you know behind the closed doors and the, the boardroom of you know, the, the men and women who run this organization, you know, those things have weight to them. And I think, you know, in, in the modern, the modern age, we find out, you know, we find out stuff that we shouldn't find out about players injuries. It happens all the time. And the fact that we hear that Dan Girardi's injury is just a whole body injury, I think is, you know, next to comical, but it's also very telling. Um, and of course, you know, you see plenty of that in the playoffs with, you know, like is his injury below or above his belly button? You know, but um, <laughs> I just, over. you know, I don't know if 
his coming back to the lineup would ever be a good idea now that we see that we can get relatively good hockey from, you know, these two youngsters and, uh, and Shea and McElrath. And honestly, I probably just based on skating alone and the fact that they're both right-handers, I would probably take Diaz over Girardi most nights. I know that might be a crazy statement to make, but that's the way I feel. So um, I don't know, Joe, where do you stand on it? Probably similar to where you are. Oh, we're about to lose everybody who's listening. Uh, this is the one time only we're going to do it on Monday, guys, uh, just to kind of avoid the playoff game. Actually, next week I have to go to the Mets game for work on Tuesday, so we're not going to do it Tuesday either, but I, I kind of want to figure out. you gotta, you got to tickle the clients, you know? That's what they, they want to go to a Mets game. They could be listening to this. I, I don't know. Uh, so if you are, Steve or Tom, if you're listening to this, you're forcing the Bantering the Blue Shirts podcast to be moved. So I'm not totally sure when that uh, next week's episode is going to go. Maybe I think game seven would be Monday, correct? So maybe Monday if there's no game seven or maybe Wednesday uh, afterwards. Hopefully we have another series to talk about. Um, yeah, hopefully that's the case. Uh, just to, I, I mean, I agree that I think Girardi should not come back at all. And I think anything that Vigneault was talking about, I think what he said to the media today, that type of conversation is much more from the vein of this is a guy who's given Vigneault some quality leadership. He's, you, you, there's not a bad thing you can say about Dan Girardi, the person. And there's really not a bad thing you can say about Dan Girardi, the player, from the standpoint of he didn't force the Rangers to offer him that contract. He didn't mm-hmm. force Vigneault to give him top line minutes and top competition. This is, these are decisions that are made for him. And in a lot of ways, if Vigneault would have just kind of allowed Girardi to fade into this third pairing role, it would have been a lot better for everybody involved because now the drop-off looks relatively significant. And it's one of those things where if you're not prepared for these types of situations, and what I mean by that is if your team, quote-unquote, loses its top defenseman, and he's replaced by a rookie who played in the AHL all year, and the rookie is a significant upgrade over him, that's a problem. And that's sort of where the Rangers are right now. Brady Shea and Dylan McElrath have made the team better. When Ryan McDonough comes back, the team will be much better. That's not because these guys are NHL superstars who are able to do whatever. This is because at this point, it's gotten where replacement-level players are upgrades over what Girardi was giving to the team. And again, this is an awkward conversation to have. This is not fun, but this is something that you need to do because general managers, when they give out these long-term contracts, they're, like your timing has to be just right because you sign a guy like Girardi to a long-term extension like they did, well, now you have him for another four years after this one where he's been a disaster this year. You get a guy like McDonough on the young side and you sign him to a six-year deal, you look like a hero because you've locked him up. And that, I think, is part of the game that you play as a general manager. But you saw it with Dean Lombardi when he signed my – he didn't buy out Mike Richards. Sometimes loyalty gets in the way, and that's a problem. Yeah. It really is. Uh, we have someone on hold, actually. They somehow made it through the, the end, so I'm going to just throw them on. 516, you're in the bonus time, Bantry, in the Blue Shirts. Who's this? First of all, I want to say I love Digger, but he screwed me up. In the in the fantasy hockey league, I just wanted to put that out there. You know what's very ironic, Tony, was I thought it was you, and 
you're calling into the Tony portion of the podcast where we force people to download it <laughs> yeah. to boost our numbers. So these, this, this time is your time, my friend. This is all you right here. Well, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're calling in. I, I would have been on sooner, but I had to I had to wash my hair, I had to feed the dog, I had to do other things that were more important than being on. None of that. <laughs> what scared. hair did you wash? <laughs> I just want to jump into what you guys are saying, and you know, it's funny because you see the metamorphosis of the Rangers going from a, you know, quote unquote defending team to going the other way now, and. I think their their mindset is basically that their best defense is their offense. And they know they're going to give up chances. They have the best goalie in the world in Nets. So why not have the puck instead of giving up the puck or defending against the puck? And I, and I think that's why you see all of a sudden, I mean, finally this coach gets it with Yandel and has given him top minutes, putting him on the power play every minute he can. I mean, it's about time. And I, and we love Girardi. We respect everything he's done. But he can't play in this league anymore unless he goes to a team like Columbus where Tortorella is still playing that, um, you know, close to the best de- defending style that That's Girardi right could wrong. possibly pay. I mean, he, he just can't play in this league anymore. And, well, the- you know, it, it's – what's that? Go ahead, Tony. I'm sorry. Finish your thought. No, it's it's funny how all of a sudden now I'm I'm defending McElrath to keeping him in the lineup. And I I listen. I I don't know what the what the allure is with Diaz, but if Vino even considers putting him in over McElrath, I don't understand that move at all. And don't give me this. He's a veteran and whatever else. McElrath has been just fine in the minutes that he's played. And I think he's a good enough skater to to play in these playoffs. The thought on Diaz is a little bit faster, a little bit better offensively, a guy who can kind of transition the puck up a little bit more from the defensive zone to the neutral zone. And I don't really have any issues with that theory in general. My issue is that McElrath never got a fair shake. And you don't know if McElrath could be that type of player. You don't know if McElrath couldn't be an ass. I, the few times that McElrath was on the power play when he was letting those bombs go from the point, McElrath looks like someone who, I'm not saying he's going to develop into Keith Yandel or P.K. Subban or, you know, I'm not saying he's going to score 20 goals a year. I'm just saying that McElrath could have turned into something with development this year that this would not even be a question. And the Rangers never allowed that to happen for whatever reason. Beth, you said it. Things go on behind the scenes you don't really know about. We sometimes you don't know what's going on, and maybe there is a logical reason behind it. But I do think we're going to see Diaz for Game Three. Honestly, I don't. Uh, he got called up probably more for insurance and protection in case anybody got injured. But just the way that Vigneault's talked about it, the way that McElrath has always sort of been this throwaway. Oh, I guess he's going to play tonight. I have a feeling we're going to see Diaz. I really do. And I, I think that's a mistake because you know. While and I, and I said this on on the blog today, while fighting is not in the game, the the kind of on the ice toughness is, and you can't yeah. tell me that the Rangers did not win that game on Sunday, on Saturday rather because they beat the hell out of the Penguins. They hit them 
every opportunity they could, okay? And basically, it's not, it's not, it's a wearing down type of thing. It's also on not allowing them to skate freely through the neutral zone. And McElrath, you know, brings that kind of uh, ingredient to the front of the net, something that the Rangers really don't have. Even, you know, somebody like Mark Stahl or even Kevin Klein. I mean, as, as much as they're supposed to be the in-front defender guys, I mean, they, they just don't do it sometimes. But McElrath clearly can can clear the crease. And, and unfortunately, it's not like he's getting 15 to 20 minutes a game to, to have that much of an effect on the game. But the element is still there, and I think I think you need to have it. And if Diaz were that much of an upgrade over McElrath, then sure, put him in. But is he really? Can you really say that he's the clear choice over the two of them? I don't think so. The Rangers showed the good type of physicality that you're talking about, Tony, not just the throwing your fists and hitting anything that moves, but the type of hits that dislodge players from the puck, that, that kind of bully players around in the corner, little things like that that make a difference. And 100%. let's be honest about something. The Rangers threw the Penguins off their game. First of all, Stepan was boarded in what's probably the dirtiest hit of the series. Could have easily injured him. Could have easily been a major. Probably should have been. Oh, no penalty been in the major. game. No suspension. No nothing, which is ridiculous. But as that game wore on, the Penguins started taking little cheap shots. They started throwing slashes after the whistle. They started yapping. They started getting annoyed. All these things that we've seen the Penguins do a million times. And that's where the Rangers want to live. They want to live in that realm of... We're playing better than you. We're hitting you. We're scoring on you, and you're pissy, and you want to make sure that you get your last shot and you get your last hit in. Because the Rangers' power play hasn't been a total disaster, and the penalty kill, knock on wood, just stay out of the box because this team is lethal that you're going up against. So well, I don't know. The problem with that, the problem with that, though, Joe, is that, and you saw it in Game One, and I've said this a million times. Okay, and get the tinfoil hat out right now, because if you watch in these in playoffs, okay, every time the Rangers have momentum, all of a sudden the the arm goes up, and there's this invisible penalty that's called against them. You tell me that those two penalties against Stolberg weren't a disgrace, oh, and, all, and before you know it, the Penguins have six minutes of power play time in 12 minutes in the first period when the Rangers are carrying the play. I mean, it's just, it's just disgraceful the way the officiating had, they, they put their mark on the game and it shouldn't be that way in the playoffs. Yeah, you definitely, you don't want that. Uh, Beth and Mike, I apologize. You guys have been uh, forced to be silent on this. So I'm going to throw you all on the, I'll throw you all on the uh, the spotlight for the end of the show. Tony, we can start with you, then Beth, then Mike. What do you think is going to happen in the next two games? Do you think the Rangers take both of them at Madison Square Garden? You know, it's funny because playoff games are games within themselves. We found that out last year in games five, six, and seven uh, against Tampa Bay. Game six, I mean, if you were wagering after that game, you thought, sure, the Rangers would um, win that seventh game, especially with Lundqvist and Nets, and the way uh, they basically uh, ran Bishop out of the arena. 
and then all of a sudden they lose two to nothing anyway. So I would say that it's we're back to square one. But the, if the Rangers come out, and I, and I always say this, especially when they play at home, if the Rangers come out in the first ten minutes like they played in game two, I would be very, very confident that they're going to win that game. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and going back to what we were discussing with about Hank and the defense before, um, I mean, just think of think of how much. I mean, it's impossible. I don't think we, in our small, non-royal little minds, um, can comprehend the brain of Henrik Lundqvist fully um, to the point that he would ever be sort of worried or concerned or not happy. Well, then again, we can actually completely comprehend him not being happy. He throws nets, but. Um, being behind a defense that is actually functioning, um, you know, leaving him to, yeah, there's still going to be some, some high danger chances. Um, but, you know, we've got to imagine that he's actually feeling a lot more confident as well, I think, behind this defense. And if he was confident when he was behind what we had before, um I think this reinvigorated him and, you know, maybe makes him feel like he's got more support. And if Hank's head is totally in the game, I mean, we can't rely on him to win it for us, of course. Um, But when he's in the zone, you can't, you don't win against him. Um, I mean, as Tony said, unless there's some really ridiculous calls or something like that. Um, But if Hank is also in the place he was in in game two, I I think our chances are good as well. Mike? Uh, I really can't, can't, you know, argue against the feeling of, you know, the momentum and, you know, if the Rangers can stay out of the box and if they can maybe get a little more, you know, it's not even an issue, I think, of being biased officiating. I think it's an issue of just inconsistent as all get out. But, uh, you know, if, if nothing else, I would hope that the home ice and getting back to the garden uh, will really do something for this team because the Rangers were great at the Garden uh, during the regular season, and uh, I could only hope that you know all the fans that have tickets tomorrow, you know, only feel half as energized as this team does coming back to MSG, you know, <clears throat> with the series tied at one to one after, you know, no captain in the lineup, uh, no Hank for you know out for two periods of Game One and. You know, no no alternate captain Girardi in the lineup, and you know here we are, one in series is one and one going into Game Three at the Garden. I think everyone will take that, and I feel like uh, the momentum's going in the right direction. I could certainly see it being really going in any different direction, especially with what, some of the things that we've talked about. That the Rangers' defense could fall apart. The Rangers' defense could continue to rise to the challenge. Some of the Bigger players. So much trending on, on a positive note, Joe. Yeah, so much trending on a positive note. What, here's, here's my positive, my positive thought. The Rangers have been successful on the heels of their youth. Rick Nash has had two assists. Eric Stahl hasn't done much of anything. Derek Broussard leads the team in points. Matt, Matt Zuccarello is, is, I think he has three points. Broussard is four. Um, so the Rangers You'll are see. getting. The Rangers are getting those types of – well, we never talked about it. There's a running theory on Blue Shirt Banter that JT Miller is actually Tony's son, uh, but he had three assists in games. So tell your boy he did a boy, good job. Boy, I'll, t- I'll tell you, did you see those passes? Come on. They were unbelievable. Three, the, the three, three assists. I mean, those passes. Your I boy's mean, done that good. Pass to this is the proud father right here. A threat. 
Give him the good Christmas gifts this year. So I think if if Stahl starts going, and I think Eric Stahl is playing through an injury, if we're being honest, I think he's playing through a shoulder injury. If Rick Nash starts scoring, which, he, again, I'm not saying that in a negative way because I think Nash has been unbelievable in this, these past two games, I think the Rangers are a really dangerous team. And if Ryan McDonough comes back, great. Now, obviously, if Dan Girardi comes back, that's a problem. <laughs> but we'll see how things go. Vigneau doesn't change the lineup after a win unless he uh, – needs to get one of his veteran guys in or kick out one of the kids, as we've seen all year. So, uh, Tony, are you going to the game tomorrow? Uh, both Tuesday and Thursday. I'll, I'll be going, going to all, all the playoff home games. So, for every playoff home game, we will be doing what I like to call the meeting of the minds. Uh, it is between the first and second intermission up in the 200th section. It's Gate C. We meet in the the stairwell of Great Gate C, where the escalators are. A lot of you come out there and meet us between the first and the second only. So come out Tuesday, come out Thursday. We'll be there. Um, we may be putting together some type of a very informal New York Ranger enemy blogger meetup before the game on Thursday. We have to figure that out, but definitely come between periods. Uh, like I said, the show will still air every Tuesday, except for this week because of the playoff game tomorrow and not next week because I have work on Tuesday, but uh, we'll let you know what day we're going to move it there. Probably Wednesday. Um, and a big thank you to Beth and Mike for coming on. Bethel has been begging to join us, and she can't on Tuesday, so she'll probably come next week too. That'll be fun. Thank you for all of you for calling in. Remember, lootcrate.com slash blueshirtbanter. Go buy it for yourself Loot or your crate. friends or whoever. They were nice enough to sponsor this show, so please show them a little bit of support and go uh, go do it. And if you sign up for Loot Crate without the slash blueshirtbanter, I will find you, and we'll have problems. We'll leave it at that. So how's that for a podcast? He has a particular podcast? set of skills. Yes, a particular. Mike will come after you, and uh, it'll be Blue's Clues all over again. Uh, it, it will not be good. So a big thank you to everybody for listening. Hopefully we have uh, an even more positive podcast next week. Uh, good night, everybody. Good night, good night guys.